You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Good morning. It's so good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles or your device, and you can turn to Exodus chapter 5 as we continue on in our series throughout the book of Exodus. And today we arrive at a point now where after years of slavery in Egypt, deliverance is finally around the corner. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, told him to go to Pharaoh, demand that Pharaoh let God's people go. And after Moses was shuffling his feet in the sand, he finally goes. And Moses gets a meeting with Pharaoh And it goes exactly how you think it would go. Pharaoh says, no way. The Israelites then, instead of going, oh, it's okay, Moses, they turn on Moses. It's discouraging. It's disappointing, which is a lot like life. Filled with discouragements and filled with disappointments. And today's passage shows us how disciples of the risen Christ, how we deal with discouragement and disappointment. And Moses and the Israelites show us really how not to deal with it. And we see the pattern how we should. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Because since these words carry the very authority of the voice of God from the burning bush himself, let's stand together and read. 5-1, and we'll read to 6-1. Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, who is Yahweh, the Lord, that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know Yahweh. Besides, I will not let Israel go. They answered, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God or else he may strike us with a plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous and you would stop them from their labor. That day, Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the peoples, as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not and would not pay attention to deceptive words. So the overseers and foremen of the people went out and said to them, this is what Pharaoh says. I am not giving you straw. Go get straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But there will be no reduction at all in your workload. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The overseers insisted, finish your assigned work each day, just as you did when straw was provided. Then The Israelite foremen whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had set over the people were beaten and asked, why haven't you finished making your prescribed number of bricks yesterday or today as you did before? So the Israelite foremen went in and cried for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating your servants this way? No straw has been given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks. 
Look, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own people who are at fault. But he said, you are slackers. Slackers! That's why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must produce the same quantity of bricks. The Israelite foremen saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord Yahweh take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we look at your word As we encounter, I know many of us are dealing with great discouragements and disappointments and frustrations and fears. And life is just not where we thought it would be. Would you help us now, King Jesus? Meet us supernaturally in the midst of these. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm I'm sure... We all know someone or have a friend that has a lot of connections. He's, he's this kind of person that's got a lot of friends and people that if you meant, he always tells you, hey, mention my name. You'll get a deal. Just tell him I sent you. You'll get a discount. Just, just, tell, just mention me. You'll get upgraded. You'll get better seats. They'll, they'll do the work for free. If you don't have a friend like that, you're missing out. And a few years back, I'm driving a 90-something Ford Explorer, and my brakes, rotators, pads, I don't know, all shot, all need work. And I had a friend back then, and his name was Kevin, and I'm telling him about my problems in my car, and he goes, hey, I got a guy. He'll do it for cost. Just mention my name. Tell him Kevin sent you. You'll be taken care of. All right. Gives me the number, writes it down. I call the guy up. He answers. Hello? Uh, hey, is this, I think his name was Billy. Hey, is this Billy? Yup. Uh, I need my brakes fixed, and Kevin said to call you and that you do it for cost. Kevin said that? Yes. Hmm. All right, then. I guess come over and I'll fix your brakes. Okay. You have an address for the shop or something where I could go? Yeah, here's my address. All right. I start driving there, and I'm driving down Luetta, and I'm looking for a mechanic shop. I don't see any of this, the address he's giving me. All of a sudden, I turn into a neighborhood. This is odd. And I'm driving through this neighborhood. I'm like, maybe the mechanic shop's on the other side of the neighborhood. That's why maybe it's like a shortcut. And I pull in, and I'm looking at the address, and it's a house. Like, huh, maybe they're going to, like, take me to the shop or something, whatever. And I walk up. This guy comes out. I think he's got two cigarettes in his mouth. He's, he's drunk, and he's like, can barely like open his eyes. I'm like, hey, I'm 
Kevin's friend to do the brakes. Oh, yeah, man, pull it in the grass. Okay, I pull my car in the grass, and before I even know him and another buddy, they're jacking my Explorer up, taking the wheels off and everything. Okay, man, these guys are quick. Hey, you got any parts? No, you're doing it all. Well, man, we don't have any parts. Here, go to, take my truck, go to O'Reilly's and buy these parts. All right, I go to O'Reilly's, I, I come back. Eight hours later, after more cigarettes and more beer, they're still not done. And I'm shining a flashlight for them as these guys are about to pass out. They finally finish my brakes. You know, I'm no mechanic, obviously, but I'm not certain it takes eight hours to change brake pads if you're a professional. I'm just going to throw that out there. Once they get my, my car down and I start driving away, I'm just praying Lord, don't let me die. <laughs> One of the strangest mechanics I'd ever met. Well, I run into Kevin a few days later, and he t- asks me, Hey, have you talked to my buddy? He says you haven't called him. <laughs> um, yeah, I did call him, and he fixed my car at his house. Kevin's like, his house? He would never take it to his house. He has a shop. He would never do that. Like, well, he fixed it. And he says, my buddy says he didn't. Well, Kevin, who did I call? We compare numbers. I called the wrong number. So you know who changed my brakes? Two random drunk strangers who apparently owed a guy named Kevin a big favor. (laughs) Moses, if you can hang with me, Moses wishes he got this kind of response when he meets with Pharaoh. Moses thinks, I'm going to drop God's name, Yahweh says, and Pharaoh's going to go, oh, great, I'll do whatever you want. But the exact opposite happens. Moses mentions the name Yahweh, and Pharaoh says, so what? What does that have to do with me? I don't know Yahweh, and I'm not obeying him. And even if I did know Yahweh, there is not a chance in Egypt that I would let the Hebrews go. So get out of here. And instead of Moses going back and saying, okay, Lord, you told us this was going to happen. You told us you were going to harden his heart. We're we're still going to trust you. He gets disappointed. Everyone gets disappointed. Everyone turns on Moses and everyone turns on Yahweh. Because when disappointment happens, we should not be surprised, beloved. When disappointment dawns, don't be surprised. So look at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 5. So later Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Now, this is a very proper structure, thus saith the Lord kind of thing. It's a royal deity God announcement. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. And then verse 2, the God of Egypt, as he views himself, Pharaoh, responds, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. So Moses does what what God says. Go and tell him, let my people go on a three-day feast. This is in Exodus 3. You can see it on the screen. 
God tells Moses, then you along with the elders of Israel must go to the king of Egypt, say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go on a three-day trip in the wilderness and we may sacrifice to the Lord. It's exactly what Moses says in five, chapter five, verse three. Exact, exact same thing. Except Moses isn't totally obeying it. Who does God say in chapter three to bring? The elders of Israel. Who does Moses bring in chapter five? Him and Aaron. He's already not obeying God said, bring you and all the elders of Israel. Moses just brings Aaron. God wants all the elders of Israel to be there so they can lead all of the people together so that they can see firsthand, eye to eye, Pharaoh will not fulfill this basic request. Let us go on a three-day trip. Let us have a three-day weekend worshiping our God. Since he won't even fulfill the small request, no, he will not fulfill the large request to let you go. You will not be let go because of the generosity of Pharaoh or the skill of Moses. Only God. But Moses doesn't bring the elders of Israel. Because he doesn't remember also. But God said this would happen. Remember what God promised. Right there at the bottom. He will not listen. He will not let you go. Pharaoh responds in chapter 5. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He's basically saying, ooh, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, big whoop. I'm Pharaoh. I'm in Egypt theology. I am the incarnation of Ra and Horus. I don't care about Yahweh. And his line here in verse 2 is significant for all of us. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? This is a question you must answer too. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is God that I should obey him, that I should worship him, that I should follow him? And it's interesting when Pharaoh is telling the people, you go work, get to work. And God is saying, no, come and worship me. These Hebrew words are the exact same words. Work and worship. Pharaoh is calling them, no, you come and work, you come and worship me. And, Pharaoh, and God is saying, no, 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 you come out and you rest with me. Come worship me. Because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come with me. And Pharaoh knows I'm not going to obey him. I'm not obeying Yahweh. Because Pharaoh knows that how you view a deity is how you treat a deity. How you view God, that is how you will treat God. So Pharaoh says, I don't have any view of God, and I'm not treating God anyway. And we do all the same things in our lives. When you go to donut shops all around the city of Houston, and you see a little Buddha, or you see a little statue, and there's a donut or a kolache in front of it, it's not a sample. It's a gift to the spirits, to their ancestors, to their gods. And you don't put one up there because you don't believe that. You eat, most of us, we eat cows because we don't believe it's our ancestors. You don't visit the Mormon temple on Champion Forest because you don't believe what they do. You celebrate Christmas and birthdays, unlike Jehovah's Witnesses, because you don't think their version of God is the right version of God. How you view a deity is how you treat a deity. So do you know the God of the Bible? I know we will all say, yes, I'm here saying, yes, I know the God of the Bible. Well, how do you treat him? 
Do you treat him as the true and living God? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Do you obey him? Do you know him? Do you follow him? Do you worship him? So this is not just a question that Pharaoh is asking. This is a question that all of us have to ask every day. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? This is what we answer every Sunday. I know that sometimes we come to church and we're like, man, I need this little, like, if I could get this little tweak in my marriage, a little tweak in my parenting, that this man, my life would really then start to gel and make so much sense. But really what we need above all is knowing the answer to, who is the Lord that I should obey him? That I should trust him, that I should follow him. And he is the one who loved me and gave himself for me. He's the one who created all things and made a way for our sins to be paid for, to be forgiven. And that he's alive in heaven and he promises whoever just simply trusts in him will be forgiven. They simply believe this is the Lord that we make much of. And this is the Lord that we follow and obey. Because Pharaoh knows obedience is an act of worship. It's an act of discipleship. That's why he's saying, no, no, you keep making bricks. You're my disciples. You're not following this Yahweh. And I wonder, after Moses and Aaron try again, no, 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 please let us go, please let us go, Pharaoh gets fed up. You know what Pharaoh basically says? Y'all think y'all have enough time to go on a spiritual retreat? I guess y'all aren't working hard enough then. Verse 7, look at verse 7. Don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Pharaoh says they're just lazy. They're not being spiritual. They don't care about God, and I don't care about their God either. Make them work. So Pharaoh makes the work harder for them. Now they're going to have to find the straw themselves. Pharaoh gave it to them. This is the bonding agent for the mud from the Nile and the mud that they would make these bricks and they'd bake them in the sun. But now they don't, they don't even have that. And the text says they go and find stubble, sawdust, pieces. And now they're going to try to make these bricks and it's not working. And Pharaoh calls them slackers. He's cruel towards them. And you know what we're seeing? Now with God in the picture, they've brought God up to Pharaoh they're talking about God in Egypt. Life hasn't gotten easier for the Israelites. It's actually more difficult. They're more discouraged. They're more disappointed. And this is the lesson all of us need. Because we often tell people, you become a Christian, life's going to be great. It's going to be so easy now. This is not true. You still encounter difficulties. You still encounter heartaches. You still deal with hardships. So don't buy the subtle prosperity gospel that's in the Bible Belt. And I know none of us believe the full-on Benny Hinn, Jesse Duplantis, moronic prosperity gospel that's out there. The whole, you know, God's going to make, God wants to make you rich if you'll just believe. You know, that's really easy to say on TV with a chair that's been spray-painted gold. But that doesn't really draw a crowd in North Korea. That's hard to preach in southern Sudan. But there are subtle versions of the gospel, of the prosperity gospel that we believe, a kind of social media stylized gospel, meaning everything should be filtered, everything should be happy, and I should be getting lots of likes. That we're shocked when we're mistreated. 
We get flustered when Christianity isn't accepted by the world. We get angry at God when we don't get what we want. And then we never thank him when things are going well. Jesus does not promise us promotions, popularity, and power in this world. What does Jesus promise us? John 16, Jesus says, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Jesus says to his disciples, it's unavoidable. Sickness and pain and loss and grief. But Jesus says, don't interpret these things as the final message. I have conquered the world. And we forget we aren't greater than our master. We aren't greater than Christ. If they persecuted him, he says, they will persecute you. They mistreated him, they will mistreat us. They despise him, they will despise us. And Paul saw this firsthand. The apostle Paul went from being a persecutor of the church to now being persecuted along with the church. In 2 Timothy, he tells him, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that should be every single one of us in the room, I hope. I want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Well then, in fact, know this, you will be persecuted. You will be marginalized. You will be passed over. You will be seen as weird. You will not fit in in every place you go. Because evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. This rings true for most Christians throughout history and most Christians around the world right now. Christians in China, North Korea, Afghanistan, Iran, Sudan, most believers in the world experience this. We are starting to in little ways. And in ways in your life right now, you might lose business deals because of Christ. Because you won't compromise. You may lose friends. Be seen as weird. You may not fit in in different and varying social elements. And you got to know that people who've been crucified with Christ get this treatment. Co-victims of crucifixion don't fit in in all of the neat places in society. But we are more than conquerors because he rose from the dead and we've been raised with him. So as you follow Christ, there are things that are like, you know what, we're not going to fit in as well. Like your kid might lose a spot on the team because you won't play all the Sunday games and practices. Like Pharaoh says in verse 17, look. But he said, you are slackers, slackers. That is why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. You know what Pharaoh's saying? You guys, your God is getting in your way of you being committed to what I'm committed in. Your God is getting in the way of your work. What do you mean you won't work on Sundays? What do you mean you're not going to do this, do that? What do you mean you're not going to do that? It's okay. Your God is getting in the way of your work, of your job, your task. You aren't as committed to this as I am. You're slackers. It's kind of true. Christ is all. Because, beloved, when you are picking up your cross and you're on that death march with Christ, dying to sin, dying to sinful desires, dying to the things the world offers, and this is all happening in your daily schedule, it will look like I'm not on board with you on this. And that is true. 
because the cross will not fit into all of these things. The cross sits over them. So these words from Paul ring true at the end. Continue. Continue what you have learned and have firmly believed. So don't get flaky. Don't get flimsy. When disappointment dawns, when discouragement comes, when temptations arrive, don't be surprised. But instead, listen to the voice of God. Remember his promises. Remember his word. Okay, so, so how do the Israelites react to the discouragement? No, I'm not giving you a straw. I'm not letting you go. It's going to be even harder. How do they react to the disappointing news? Uh, let's just gather together and pray. No. This really, they'd respond the natural way, the way most of us would. They grumble and complain, and they blame Moses. Look at verse 20. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting for them. Verse 21. May the Lord take note of you and judge. May God curse you, Moses. They said to them, why? Because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. They confront Moses. These are Israelite leaders of the brickmaking crew. And they're basically saying, thanks a lot, Moses. You and your bright ideas. Mr. Grew up in Egypt. Mr. Burning Bush guy. Now when Pharaoh thinks about us, he thinks of a garbage dump. He's repulsed by us. We are repulsive to him. We are no longer in his favor. We have lost any political leverage we had with Pharaoh. So what does Moses do? Brothers and sisters, I told you this would happen. It's not what he does. What does Moses do? Do you remember how chapter 4 ends? Look at the end of chapter 4. You can just flip over. You can see it right there. Aaron, beginning in verse 30 and 31. Aaron repeated everything the Lord said, performed the signs, the staff turned into a snake, the hand put into the jacket, leprosy, back in, water from the Nile turned to blood, and what? 31. The people believed. And the people worshipped. They knelt low and worshipped God. So, and now they're grumbling and complaining at the first sign of discouragement, at the first sign of disappointment. They go from kneeling low and worshiping God to now with a finger in Moses' chest and veins popping from their foreheads. How does that change happen? Jesus tells us there are some seeds thrown onto one soil that immediately spring up with joy. But at the first sign of distress and persecution, it withers away and dies because it had no root in it. They didn't have a root of belief with God yet. And this is what we see throughout the whole book of Exodus. It's all momentary belief. And we've all seen people in our churches. I have baptized too many of them who spring up with joy. Uh, they love what Christ offers, but at the first sign of having to actually drag a cross in their daily lives, they wither away and die. Because they're not listening to the right voice. Now they're grumbling and complaining. As they grumble and complain to Moses, as they grumble and complain from all the things they've heard from Pharaoh, Moses hears all this grumbling and complaining. And what does Moses do? He turns around and rebukes them. You guys, follow Christ. No, that's what should have happened. Let's trust Yahweh. But instead, look at what Moses does, verse 22. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? 
Why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. Yikes. Moses should be thanking God that the earth didn't open up and just swallow him right then. Moses says, thanks a lot, God. Everything is worse since you and I got involved. Since I mentioned your name, I dropped your name, no benefits. It's only worse. And Moses questions God in three ways. He questions God's goodness. Why are you causing them trouble? He questions God's goal. Why did you send me here? And he questions God's glory. You haven't rescued your people at all. Moses questions God deeply, personally. Discouragement is deeply personal. When things aren't going our way, isn't this what we do? We question God's goodness. How could a good God allow this to happen? We question God's goal and motive. Why would God do this? We question God's glory. If I were God, I wouldn't. And here's what we need to know. I'm just going to be as honest with you as possible. Compared to the eternal God, our knowledge is as vast and as deep and as powerful as that piece of dust on a fake plant in your house. It is tiny. It is insignificant. Barely noticeable. And our authority and our right to question or demand answers from God is as rational as when my four-year-old son, I had to make sure he was asleep, is, it was when my four-year-old son argues with me about going to the bathroom before he goes to sleep. I don't want to go potty. I know, but you have to. No, I don't. You're going to have an accident, and I don't want to clean it up. You want to clean it up? No. Well, you got to go potty. So as silly as it looks, when a four-year-old argues with his 33-year-old father. How silly does it look when a 40-year-old Christian, a 60-year-old Christian, a 20-something-year-old Christian argues with the eternal father, questions the eternal son, disagrees with the eternal spirit? This is why Paul says, who are we that God should answer us? Who are we that we should give counsel to God? And isn't this the end of the book of Job? After all the sufferings and all the disappointments and discouragements Job went through, he starts complaining and questioning God. And then a tornado shows up and says, it's time, Job. I've got some questions for you. And they go around. Are you the one that calls lightning bolts? And they say, here I am. And then Job backs away and says, I am sorry, And God says, I'm not done. When these questions come up in our hearts and among other believers, one of the best things we can say to ourselves and to one another is just, I don't know. We don't have to try to theologize everything. Well, you know, if you take this verse and blah, blah, blah. You know, sometimes we just need to say, I don't know. It's one of the best things I can say as a pastor. I know it's frustrating to people, but it's one of the safest things I can say is, I don't know. We can't pretend to be God for one another. But what we can say is, I don't know about this, but here's what I do know. I know the Lord. When Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? We can say, I know the Lord. And we can obey him. 
He is a good father. He is a good big brother. And he is a good spirit to us. Yeah, I love when Jesus says, you fathers who are evil, if your son asks for bread, you're going to give him a snake? No. So if you being evil, when you ask your heavenly father something, he is not going to give you a snake. He's not going to give you a rock. He's going to give you what you need. We know the Lord that he hasn't abandoned us. And listen, a lot of their struggles and a lot of our struggles too, we've got to listen to the right voices. Because there's a thread in this whole chapter of competing voices and dialogue back and forth, back and forth, who will be believed? And I want you to see it. This is what makes this whole chapter make sense. Look at verse 1. As I said earlier, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. God speaks. This is a formal, royal God announcement. Verse 2, Pharaoh responds. Verse 3, they answered. Verse 4, the king of Egypt said. See, they're going back and forth. Who will be believed? Who will be believed? Verse 6, Pharaoh, the God of Egypt, as he views himself, commanded. He speaks a command. Verse 10, look at the exact structure of this. This is what Pharaoh says, identical to verse 1. So Yahweh, the God of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Now Egypt, the God of Egypt, Pharaoh, as he views himself, says, this is what Pharaoh says. So this is not just a battle of, you know, who's going to have the final word. This is a battle of which God will be believed. The true and living God or the fake God, false God in Egypt and Pharaoh. And look who's being believed. Verse 15. The Israelite foremen went in and cried for help to Pharaoh. They should have went to Yahweh. God, help us. But they go to Pharaoh. Verse 17. Pharaoh speaks. They confront Moses. Verse 21. They speak to Moses. They said to them, So Moses, he believes their complaints, and Moses complains to God. So see, there are these competing voices throughout the whole chapter because there are competing voices throughout your entire life. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the world. Thus saith my heart. Competing voices. And in this chapter, everyone's listening and believing the wrong voice. That's why Moses takes those complaints. He believes the complaints. He believes the discouragement. He believes the disappointment. And he turns on God. But then God speaks again, framing this whole account. God speaks at the beginning and God speaks at the end, 6-1. But the Lord replied, linking back up with verse 2. Pharaoh responded, now 6-1, the Lord responds. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them out. The Lord says, redemption is coming. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to in your life? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And follow me. Do you listen to the word of Christ above all? Do you listen to the scriptures above all? Do you let the word of God be your final voice? A lot of times we let our worldview shape our faith, but it is meant to be the other way around. 
Our faith shaping our worldview. Our faith shaping how we view the world. The word of Christ from all 66 books shaping how we view the world, not the world and its occurrence and its wisdom shaping how we view the 66 books. Let the word of Christ be the final voice in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Listen to God over political pundits. Listen to Christ over false teachers. Listen to Christ over bad counsel from friends. Listen to Christ over yourself. Moses doesn't need to listen to Moses. His instincts are not right. And, and mine, Jeff Metter's instincts are not always right. I need the instincts of Christ. Because part of discipleship is cutting through the noise and following the voice following the message of the gospel. So where are you tuning him out? As he's calling you, believe me here. Turn from this sin here. When you're reading the word and you feel the conviction, the loving conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you're tuning him out. Don't repeat the sins of the Israelites, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. These were written for your instruction so that you would not disobey as they did. Where are you tuning Christ out? You know, we live in a world filled with rage and trigger warnings. And we should hear the voice of Christ over them. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And a world filled with hate over politics, over religion, over race. We should hear the voice of Christ saying, love one another, just as I have loved you. And by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. And a world filled with temptations and follow your heart, do whatever you want. If that's what you desire, that's what you should have, we should hear the voice of Christ. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better to enter into heaven maimed than to hell with both hands. In a world filled with live to yourself, introvert yourself, guard yourself from the world, we hear the voice of Christ saying, go and make disciples of all nations even the ones of countries that you don't want to visit, of people you don't want to get to know. And when we are wondering, am I really forgiven? Am I really made new? Are my sins really paid for? I feel so discouraged. I feel so disappointed about myself. We hear the voice of Christ from the cross. It is finished. Your sins are paid for in full. And when we wonder if we really have hope in this life, we hear the voice of Christ as he raised from the dead. Go, go, go into all the earth. And we hear the voice of Christ telling us again today, I am with you and I will be with you always. Monday, Sunday, Sunday Christianity is one of the easiest kinds. Monday Christianity is the real deal. And we hear the voice of Christ on Monday saying, I am with you. And as the King James tells us, and lo, I am coming soon. Discouragement and disappointment in the pharaohs of this world don't have power over the grave or your eternal inheritance. Christ reigns. Listen to his voice. And just by believing his name at the name of Jesus, you get, you get more than your silly breaks fixed. You get your life redeemed. You get salvation in this age and in the age to come. Listen to his voice. And some of you, today he's saying, come to me and I will give you rest.
Look to me and you will be saved. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.